Wow. Hard cut. <laughs> Hard cut. <laughs> yeah, who sang that? Johnny. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Everyone here, good, great, grand, wonderful. Um, so last week, we ended on the note of how we saw the early church um, in the book of Acts fully adopting this new way of living with one another. Remember, the topic of the month is sacrifice. So we see, we see in, the, in, in the book of Acts and in the formation of the early church, we see a total ownership of this new relational sort of worldview that Christ brought forward. And it was one that is built on a key character trait of sacrifice. When God sent Christ, it wasn't for his own means and gains, as we know, but it was for us, and it was for relationship with us. He sacrificed so that we can have relationship with him. When we accept that, and when we come to a mature understanding of our own relationship um, with God and the relationship with the new family he's given us in the body, um, we're called to transform the way that we think about things. As Pastor Monty always likes to remind us, it's one of his favorite sayings, that it's not about you, right? We are dead to self. So part of our call to arms, you know, since we sort of have been liking this theme of, of um, I don't know, battle or metaphor for battle, um, part of our call to arms is to build up the body of Christ and whatever the cost is to us. Whether that cost is a number of things, whether that cost is our money, our honor, whatever that means, uh, our convenience, our physical energy, uh, our reputation, our comfortability, our job, our own freedom that we have, um, or anything else, there, and we sort of touched on this last week in cell group, but there's no limit to, there should be no limit to what we are willing to sacrifice to God. And it's through this sort of new filter or lens that we see we see this concept now. We're no longer interested in, interested in trying to pursue our own desires and interests, but our most, or rather our most passionate desire now is to glorify God in the way that we live. And so as I've been saying, sacrifice is a key component, a key character trait in this new way of living. So scripture speaks to this um, in multiple places, but um, one of the places we'll visit today is um, in Galatians 6. And they speak, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, sort of speaks to this sort of relational investment. At the beginning of chapter 6, he says, <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So real quick, I want to acknowledge that, yes, Paul in this passage is lights. Is specifically, oh, lights. That's right. <laughs> um, specifically talking, he's specifically talking about um, sin. And specifically talking about um, how we as fellow believers have a responsibility and a call um, in helping that person be brought back um, to where they need to be rather than 
passing judgment as the Judaizers were at the time. Um, with that said, there is also a greater sort of precept at play as well. Um, so we live in a time when people are, you know, sort of submerged in entertainment and where a number of different um, ideas and diversions from what actual relationship looks like are presented to us. Uh, we interact with one another in sort of like sound bites, you know, like you see a coworker, for example, and you know you ask them how they're doing, and they say good because that's what you're supposed to say, right? Um, you ask someone about the weather as a as a central like whatever for your relationship for whatever reason the weather is some sort of meeting meeting ground for a relationship in in society it's really weird I don't get it who cares about the weather doesn't actually matter um, uh, we ask someone what they thought about this Timbers game or Blazers game or whatever um, just sort of vapid points of conversation that lack any real probing for intent for a deeper relationship with that person. And we sort of, you know, we ask those questions or those things are thrown out there and we entertain them and then that's kind of it and that's sort of the basis for a relationship. Or we interact through like a faceless media, like Facebook, for example, where you can have, <laughs> and I know people like this, you can have like a thousand plus friends, um, but no one to like actually talk to, right? No one that actually knows who you are and what you're going through. Or we live in just, in general, we live in a, a super dense pop, densely populated city. And uh, sometimes, even though we're surrounded by so many people, you kind of couldn't be more lonely at times. Why is that? More and more, what you see is that it's because there's no real investment in, in relationship. Um, instead, everyone's just sort of in their lane, and that's where they belong, and that's where they're comfortable, and that's where they'll stay, and they're not interested in investing in actual relationship. Um, instead, we sort of just go through, like I was talking about, we sort of go through the motions or the mechanics of pretending to be in relationship with people, um, and because you did those things, because you asked those vapid points of conversation, well, you know, you kind of did your part, and so you, you can feel good about yourself because you took an interest in what that person thought about the weather or something. Um, and and instead, instead, yeah, you're free from any actual responsibility or caring for another person's needs or struggles. And this is the case in the church today as well. And for any of you guys that know, well, I, I know, I've had experience with it, but those sort of bigger, we call them mega churches, right? Um, is it any kind of wonder why those churches sort of have that coldness and emptiness kind of feeling to them? Because there's, even though there's so many people, you don't really know who's who because you can sort of slide under the radar or because you don't know that that person was even there. Just recently, um, someone close to me and my wife said that they would actually prefer to go to a church like that because then they wouldn't be noticed and they wouldn't be talked to and they wouldn't be reached out to. That's an actual thing. People feel that way. And it's like, what? That's, that's not what we're called to be. Um, and it's unfortunate that assemblies like this often, 
they sort of cultivate that atmosphere of neglect or silence and lack of investment in actual relationship with people. People don't want to be bothered by other people's issues. You know, like I said, those are their issues. I'm in my lane. In the same vein, people don't want to share what their, what their burdens are, what their issues are. They feel that it's not their responsibility or that they don't, have, um, they don't have a place to speak into it or to share it. But scripture teaches the opposite. Uh, and this comes with a degree of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like decorum or discernment, both things probably, um, and gentleness and humility. Galatians goes on, Paul goes on to list those things um, specifically, but the point is clear, and he, he makes the point clear that the priority in this is reconciliation for one another to God, moving toward making things right again and getting that person back to where they should be helping them, those people that either A, were, were never in relationship with God and reaching out in that way in the way that you invest in that relationship, or helping those people that have stumbled somewhere along the way, whether it's specifically with sin or otherwise. There's a mutual moral accountability that is sort of key in understanding this. Um, correction is helpful if it's give and take. So not from the point of passing judgment like what was happening in Galatians and what Paul is speaking to, but from a point of genuine desire, a point of genuine desire to assist one another into love and obedience to God. And this doesn't come without a degree of sacrifice, obviously. Um, having hard conversations are never fun, per se. Like, I don't know anyone, even the people who are good at it that I know, that like, that like to have conversations, like accountable conversations, because it's you know, a joy to them, or you know, maybe that's a bad way of putting that. We should take joy in that, but having awkward and uncomfortable conversations aren't what we would call fun. We'll just leave it at that. Um, they're never without that degree of uncomfortable, uncomfortability. And sometimes there's even a degree of concern that, you know, Speaking to someone in that way or, you know, being in relationship that's that vulnerable is going to scare someone off or push someone away. I have sort of a bad example of this that happened at work recently. I'm just thinking about it. But, um, yeah, how do I say this without giving too many boring details? But, um, so I was training someone at work and I was at one of my accounts and <coughs> there was an issue where the account owner, the owner of the store, he wasn't like compliant or whatever with the agreement that he's on with my company, right? And so I guess I had two options. Um, I could have ignored it, you know, and just sort of not held him accountable to these things. Kind of a bad example, but bear with me. Um, or I could have had an uncomfortable and awkward conversation about it. Bear in mind, I, you know, I had someone that I was training, so I'm expected to give this person like proper example to follow when we come across these things. But so, of course, I chose to do the right thing, even though I knew that this conversation could um, have been sort of inflammatory. I don't know if that's the right word, but there was a risk involved in having this conversation with this guy where it could have backfired in my face and, you know, we could have lost this, that, and the other. I don't want to give you guys details about what that means, but so anyways, I did, I had the conversation, and it went about as bad as possible. Uh, the guy, like, 
I mean, one to 10, like blew up in my face. Um, I, I was kind of in the doorway of his office and he was sort of done speaking to me and so he like literally like shut the door on my face, like my foot was there. So I was like, I was like, whoa, Fred, like I don't, I don't want to communicate like this with you, blah, 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 blah. But the point is like that conversation I wasn't looking forward to and I could have ignored it, but I chose to have it despite those things. Still working through getting that guy back to where we need to be. But the point is, we don't operate out of fear or insecurity. In the body of Christ, especially, we don't operate out of that sort of fear or insecurity um, that having this level of investment in relationship with people and sacrificing that uncomfortableness and inconvenience, um, we don't operate out of fear of that and fear of, of losing that. And being united in in the body of Christ means something, and being part of that family means something, and we're called to act within that in a certain way. Paul says that when we sacrifice for each other in this way, when we bear each other's burdens as a body, we emulate the same love that Christ shows us. He says we obey the law of Christ, were his words, which is, is one of love and investment in relationship and is one of sacrifice. It's actually kind of funny that Paul would emphasize this theme in a letter written to confront people who were, you know, falling into that legalism, as I mentioned. Um, and it's kind of as if he were saying, like, you, you want to observe a law or you want to put these things on people and put these burdens on people. Okay, well then let that be, you know, this law, the law of Christ. And this is what that looks like. And this is how you go about that. Um, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 speak to this same attitude or mentality as well. Ephesians 4 says at the beginning, says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. There's that word again, macrothemia, long-suffering. Be patient with each other. Suffer with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Colossians 3 likewise says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Meaning, show grace, the same grace that was given to you. Uh, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and the peace that comes from Christ, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as a member of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with Thankful hearts, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, these passages sort of depict attitudes that we're supposed to have, not necessarily techniques or methods. And people in the world are kind of more interested, it seems like, in the technique, techniques or methods. They want to be told how to do something. You know, they buy books or listen to podcasts <laughs> or they go to like seminars by people who are successful 
Um, they watch shows, and they look for people to tell them, you know, how to be successful like that. You know, do these ten things, and you'll get a million dollars, or whatever it is. Um, or people will look at you this way. But God, God doesn't care so much about those techniques or those methods. He instead cares about the attitude on our hearts, right? Martin Luther King Jr. said, human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. I like that already. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle, the tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. And Paul's words in these parallel passages in Ephesians and Colossians remind us that unity in the body of Christ does not come naturally or automatically either. It doesn't come without struggle or sacrifice, without suffering for one another, long suffering. It's work, right? But the attitude on our hearts is what's most important. We need to be willing to do that work. Our investment and genuine care in those relationships with each other has to be diligently preserved and defended and honored so that the world around us can see our hope, right? I'm going to give, you know, a personal experience I have in this sort of relational investment and sacrifice. Um, and it was when, yeah, it's sort of when I first started coming around. But one of the things that struck me as, <coughs> excuse me, as profound when I first started coming around this church and this group of people was just the length at which certain people were willing to go to invest in relationship, like I said. Um, deep, like deep and heavy conversations with people, whether individually or as a group, um, that starts, you know, maybe at 7 o'clock at night, and a lot of us have been there, but don't get done until 3 o'clock in the morning or something. Conversations that I witnessed, and this was all new to me, okay? Conversations that I witnessed that start, you know, at one place, then escalate and escalate, and they get heated even, and then, you know, come back down. Um, conversations that are started and almost always, almost always aren't finished until there's, there was a mutual resolution and understanding, and, you know, not to get sappy, but where each party knew that they were safe and loved in that relationship. And, um, you know, it wasn't volatile and ready to be abandoned at any given time. Um, for the people that know or were ever part of the Jude Project, which is probably this half of the church minus a couple. Um, but conversations that were, like, intensely personal and vulnerable and where people cry, like, deeply cry. Like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that level of, like, vulnerability. Ask us about it or me about it sometime. But um, just are deeply vulnerable with other each other for the sake of better strengthening relationship and unity in that body. And these kinds of things are unheard of in the world. And that's why, you know, however many years ago, how long have I been coming here? Like maybe 10 years or something? Seven? Eight? More like 10. Nine, if we're rounding up like Josh, it's more like 20. We'll call it 20. <laughs> But these kinds of, these kind, this kind of relationship is, is rare. I mean, it's rare for those of you that have experienced some life. 
Um, and it certainly was in like the circles I was in, right? You get into a blowout conversation with someone and it's over, man. Like we gave it a good run. <laughs> like we had our blowout conversation and how can we come back from this now? Um, and you know, I guess I have to hate you now or something like that. Um, you, like a five hour conversation, a four hour, a three hour, a two hour conversation, what? You don't have those kinds of conversations. People, people can't even entertain a five minute conversation with you, you know, on any sort of level. Um, certainly not personally. It's, it's vapid or it's based around something that is just too small. You know, I have my skateboarding friends and so that's what holds us together, right? My skateboarding friends, we all skateboard. Yeah, I know, and wherever Jacob is with the kids, whatever. Like he knows too, like these, these small, too small of narratives that hold us together and so they crumble apart. Um, there were times I remember that I would go to work all day and I was working two jobs at once, so like starting at 6 a.m., getting off, going to work at Oak Grove till 10 or whatever when we closed and then going over to either like Colin and Steve's apartment or Josh and Michelle's apartment and, you know, hanging out with those people until whatever hour in the morning. I don't know, one or two or whatever it was. Um, and then wake up again at 5 a.m. and go do it all over again. Um, and, you know, repeat. And for the Jude Project example, even, even worse, like we'd talk till 4 o'clock in the morning and I would wake up, I'd go to sleep for one hour on the floor and then <laughs> go to wake up at 5 and go to work. Um, it's crazy. And to be honest, like the age from the age of like 18 to 20 is sort of a blur for me because of just that intense level of figuring out what that relation, what relationship really looks like. Um, and I say this not because like I'm trying to you know brag or something, I'm not, but because I genuinely, because I want to like express to you how that impacted me, how this level of sacrifice and investment impacted me. I genuinely felt compelled to put into those relationships what I was taking from them. If these people who knew me for what, like a year or something, you know, and a year in our lives is, is long, right? And there's a lot of relationship in a year and stuff, but these people that knew me for only a year were willing to sacrifice on this level, sacrifice their time, their house and their, their, their couch or their food or their whatever, you know, um, if they were willing to give that to me, surely, like, I should give that to them. And this, this was modeled to me. Um, and this was sort of, that was sort of the dialogue that was going through my head years ago as I was first coming around and, you know, exploring my relationship with God because relationship on that level and sacrifice for relationship on that level is, it's just unheard of, guys. Like, it really is. It's, it's profound. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> I was sort of, sort of switching gears and getting off that tangent, but I was sort of thinking again a lot about why groups, so groups of people, so we're talking about the body of Christ as our group of people, right, our narrative, but why groups of people like uh, maybe sports teams or military personnel or something, why, why they have this strong sense of brotherhood or togetherness and and why when you see that or when you hear about it you hear stories or you know watch movies or tv or whatever why that resonates again i talked a little bit about it last week but why it resonates with us 
I know a lot of you aren't sports fans. Most of you. Yep, everyone I'm looking. Oh, LU. Maybe. Maybe. No, not. Oh, you guys, you guys like football and stuff, right? Totally. Uh, but if you've ever followed something like an intense playoff run, or you know, you see your team like battling, battling and fighting for each other in like the climax of a of a season or something, defending each other and you know, getting through intense moments and intense games, and you see players hugging other players or players hugging coaches or vice versa, whatever it may be. And, you know, every one of those people in that unit, in that group, just giving all of their blood, sweat, and tears to that small cause. Um, and why it's a powerful theme. Sports movies are some of, like, the best movies because they have these things in them, right? Like, who doesn't like a good sports movie? Mm, I knew he raised his hand. Um, but sports, these, these stories, and, you know, a lot of them based on actual, like, you know, moments and events, but... They, they inspire, and so I was thinking, like, why is that? Why do we feel so inspired by these moments? And within military, like, the same, you know, same sort of thing, same sort of sense of um, unity and sacrifice everything for your brother philosophy exists. Is it because, like, that sports team or championship game, like, matters? Like, I love sports, right? But I'll be the first to say, like, no, it doesn't matter at all. Um, is it because a particular war or battle or conflict um, ultimately, ultimately matters? Um, I sort of want to borrow, reappropriate <laughs> a scene from one of my favorite war movies and put it into this new context of, of investment in the body of Christ and sacrifice and giving, giving everything you have toward that end. So if Jacqueline would please cue it up. It's much shorter than Harry Stamper in Armageddon. There's a couple of curse words, so forgive me. He says damn a couple times. <clears throat> Thank you, Jacqueline. So yeah, have you guys seen Black Hawk Down? Okay, this is the end of the movie, like one of the last scenes. And they had just, no spoilers, it's like almost 20 <laughs> years old, so sorry. And it's based on a true story, so spoilers don't exist for true stories, fun fact. Um, <laughs> but they had just literally ran out of the battlefield, ran out, like, um, of the battlefield and, you know, with all these injured and wounded people and it was really intense and 
they're getting shot at and blah, 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 blah. They're in like Somalia or something. And, and uh, yeah, this guy, this character, his name's Hoot. He, he's there, he's getting, he's getting some food and he's, he's resupplying himself and he's getting ready to go back out there, you know, because there's still men out there. And this guy, I don't remember Josh Hartnett's character, but he's like, what are you doing? Like, like we just, you know, we just went through this intense thing. Like, take a, take a moment. But the reason why I like that and the reason why I just like to reappropriate it for our context and our new narrative is because I feel like that's the sort of attitude we should have of never being content with, you know, um, the level of investment we've had up to this point, you know, the level of sacrifice we show each other up to a certain point. These things strike a nerve with us, these moments, um, because they are merely borrowing from the reflection of who we're called to be as disciples of Christ. And so that's why when we see inspiring, you know, moments in, in, in sports or a scene like that, you know, that's why it, that's why it resonates with us. And ultimately, the narrative that we follow and the unity in the body that we have is, is what matters most. As believers, we now come to understand the real reason why, as, he, as Hoot said. Um, it's for the sake of showing who God is and reflecting the, that character of Christ and that, that nature of sacrifice that he showed us for relationship so we can be with him and come to him. Um, and how we reflect that so that other people can can, like I said in the beginning, can witness that hope. Um, when we adopt this attitude of investment for the sake of building the body up, um, going back out, if you will, because there's still men out there, um, inconveniencing ourselves to pull up the person next to us, um, both in the body, especially in the body, as he says at the end of Galatians 6, but out of the body as well, then we demonstrate this this beautiful level of sacrifice and investment in, in the body of Christ. So, with that said, here's a few questions for us to discuss <clears throat> this week in cell groups. What have you, you ready? What have you given up in order to follow this calling of building up the body? Do you inconvenience yourselves to not only know the burden of others, but to care enough to do something about it? What has that looked like for you? How have you experienced that? How has this type of relational sacrifice been shown to you? And how have you given back to it in that same way? Let's talk about these things. Thanks. <clears throat>